I think it's really important that you enjoy what you do. Don't do it for the money because it might take a very long time. So that's our experience. It's taken a very long time. We've enjoyed it as we've done it, but you, you wouldn't do it for the money. You know, you've got to do it because you want to do it and it's something you want to achieve. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capital Grove City Center with my guest, Mike Churchill, CEO of Churchill Drilling Tools. How are you this afternoon? I'm very well. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Before we get into it, I wanted to please ask everyone to support the show by taking a few moments to leave a review in iTunes, and I'll certainly read it on the show. So, Mike, let's discuss how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Well, it was uh, about 15 years ago that I joined my brother. Uh, He'd been in Aberdeen, Scotland, uh, working in the industry for about 10 or 15 years. But I never uh, had any interest in oil and gas until that time. And it was, I guess, a number of reasons that I decided to go up there. But uh, I'd had a lot of fun working in family businesses. I'd always worked in family businesses. And the reality of real engineering and doing real stuff really appealed to me. So uh, I took the plunge and came up and I was uh, employee number three for Churchill Drilling Tools in January of 2004. That's awesome. So this is a family business. It is a family business. And as I said, I've almost always, I was just thinking about when I was preparing for this interview, actually I've always worked for family businesses. I don't think I've ever had any significant amount of time where I've not worked for a family business. So it must be something in the genes, I guess. <laughs> well, that's excellent. So let's, uh, let's kind of talk through how you started in your family business. Well, yes. Yeah, so I, I came up to Aberdeen. Before that, I'd been running my own consultancy in, I guess it, you would call it Web 1.0. That was uh, <laughs> 2000. Things were getting really exciting in the internet. People thought it was uh, going to be the future and everybody was going to become millionaires overnight. And I decided that I would leave the company that I was working for at the time. I'd been with them for eight years. That was a a really, really good uh, family business again. (laughs) Uh, Electronics company based in Manchester, UK. And I decided that now was the time to take my chance and work from home. Working from home was uh, quite something new, I think. You know, getting that motivation to get up in the morning and, and go do something constructive. And also, it was an experience of having to create your own brand, you know, your own network. Yes. Because previous to that, you're reliant on your company's brand and you can make a call and get an invite and go see somebody and sell them something. But uh, when it's just yourself, you've really got to, you've really got to create your own brand mm-hmm. and you've got to do something that really is of value to the, to the customer. And that was really quite a challenge and quite a learning curve for me. Mm -hmm. Um, The most uh, important thing I did was to start networking, start getting out, start making friends, making acquaintances. And that really got me on the the buzz for starting my own company. But 
the internet was very competitive at that time. Well, and that's that's right before we thought the world was going to end, and that's then right. it was just the, really the beginning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I guess there were a few people doing well, but 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 it was really competitive, and and the mantra sort of became after a couple of years that it was really the bricks, you know, the real companies that were going to make the money out of the internet. You know, they were going to have their shop. And people are going to come to the high street or, or buy the car in the garage. And then they might also do some online sales as well. And those people that were purely internet businesses were, were struggling. So then uh, my brother, who was uh, working in Aberdeen, as I mentioned before, he'd had uh, a couple of successful uh, wells with Hess and with okay, yeah. Shell in the North Sea. Uh-huh. That would have been in around 2002. Okay. And uh, that seemed like real engineering, you know, real stuff, yeah. uh, not just uh, web pages. And uh, so I thought, well, he's, you know, struggling from a time point of view because he's got so many things to do. Maybe he could do with a hand if I went up there and take over some of the business side of things and he could focus on the technical stuff. So I said, why don't I come up? He said, sure, come up. So end of 2003, beginning of 2004, I went up. And during the evenings, I would sleep in the spare room. And during the day, we turned that uh, spare room into the office. And uh, that's basically how we started. Live and sleep work, huh? That's right. Yeah, it was great. Yes, that's, that's the way this industry is. Yep. Doesn't sleep. So aside from the, the motivation to, to really do your own thing, what were some other challenges? I mean, I, the safety of, I feel like, being with your sibling is that... Do you have brothers and sisters? I, yeah, I do. And there's there's four of us. And could you work with them? No. <laughs> I love them dearly. Well, that, it's funny, actually, because so many people ask me, how on earth do you manage to work with your brother? And that's not because they know my brother. They just say, you know, how I, I just couldn't do that. It would be, be so difficult. But I think we're really quite lucky in the sense that we're, we're good at different things. You know, he, he's really, really strong on the technical side. And that's his passion to solve applications, to come up with new products. But I'm more interested in the organizational side and, and the marketing and, and the, the growth of the business for the long term. So that's how we kind of split ourselves up. And it, and it, it seems that you complement each other. Yeah, it works really well, I think. I think. I don't know what uh, the staff would say. You know, maybe they, they would say different. But uh, for me, it works, it works really well. Excellent. So let's talk about uh, where you are now. So now we, we're still quite a small company. We have uh, just about 70 employees worldwide. Mm-hmm. Most of them are in Aberdeen. We opened up in Houston in 2013. Oh, wow. And uh, we have some, some good operations here. And we also have a lot of good operations in, in the Middle East. So that's, that's where we are today. And I guess when we started with just a couple of us in the, in the company, you, you have to do everything. And uh, it, it doesn't you matter. Many, what it, you got to wear all the hats, right? Yep, absolutely. It doesn't matter what comes up. Somebody's got to do it. And you know, when when you're hiring, obviously you want to get experienced people in your company. But that that's a that can be a challenge because not all experienced people are used to working in small companies like that. Right. So so that 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 can be a challenge. But uh, I feel we've made a lot of progress. We've got some great teams. We've got a great team here in Houston, and. I think the transition between moving from hands-on doing everything yourself to setting up departments 
and then having people with proper job functions, you know, that's quite a challenge. But I think we, I think we've made it now, and I'm I'm not sure what I have to do each day because you know we have some some really good guys taking care of business for us. Well, that's quite the accomplishment. Having a great team is is it's hard to come by. Well, thank you. It's I think it it is the hardest thing to do, and I don't think you can underestimate the. Uh, the difference between a family business and a large corporation, you know, it, it is quite, uh, it is quite different, but I, I love it. I think it's the, the best kind of place to work. Yeah, I actually, I agree with you hundred percent on that. So drilling tools, what type of drilling tools? So almost all downhole tools okay. are, are the ones that we make. They're typically around the uh, drilling assembly right at the bottom of, uh, of the drill string, not electronic stuff or mechanical stuff, mainly valves. And these are most benefit when you're drilling difficult, complex wells. Like horizontals or? Horizontal wells, or, high angle wells, or any wells where you've got challenging formations and you really need to uh, keep that hole in good condition and keep the cuttings coming out of the hole. Yeah. Those are the kind of applications that we... That's uh, like the most difficult part of the entire operation right there is... Yeah, well, the, the technical challenge, and this is, this is what my brother's really good at, is coming up with something that's better, but it is not too complicated. Right. In fact, he, he did actually start by coming up with something that was better, that was very complicated. And we had to backtrack and do quite a number of different attempts before we hit the jackpot. And I think he started in 1998 on his first tool, and we didn't get what we think was an acceptable quality until... 2008. Wow. Yeah, so 10 for him 10 years. For for me just 4, but for him 10 years of uh, development to to get the tool that he wanted. Excellent. All right. So if you had one piece of advice to mm-hmm. give our audience, what would it be? Well, if it was about becoming an entrepreneur and setting up your own company, I think it's really important that you enjoy what you do. Don't do it for the money because it might take a very long time. So that's our experience. It's taken a very long time. We've enjoyed it as we've done it, but you you wouldn't do it for the money. You know, you've got to do it because you want to do it and it's something you want to achieve. Otherwise, it'll never get done. That's absolutely it. But but if you're doing it for the money, then maybe maybe you're doing it for the wrong reasons and, and, and maybe it's not enjoyable for, enough for you. Maybe you, you need to, to find something else. Yeah, it seems like a lot of mistakes could become made because of, of of just seeing it through the money spectrum. Yeah, I guess those kind of developments have their place. I mean, that's the most common thing today. You you have a good idea, you you pitch it to mm-hmm. some investors, and then it's all about hitting the numbers. You know, you've got to deliver, but you've got the backing. Whereas we did it, we did it very differently. We didn't have any money. It was all totally organic. We've never taken any investment in the company. But that's impressive. Well, thank you. But I, I guess that it was kind of our conservative nature. You know, I, I worked in two companies before, before I set up on my own. The first one really taught me how to fail, you know, how not to do it. That was a venture capital funded uh, technology company. And they couldn't hit the numbers. And eventually, you know, the wheels, the wheels fell off. Then I worked for a, a larger family firm. And they were more conservative. They had, they knew what they were aiming at. They had the quality, they had the service, and they had the cost controls. And they were maybe a bit, 
a bit boring, but they were certainly, certainly very successful. So maybe that's the kind of experiences that made me feel that the, the right way to go was to, especially when you're developing new technology, right. is to try, to try to take things one step at a time. You know, try to make sure the business is funded. And then when you have some money, then speculate it on some new technology and then get that to work and then, and then take things forward one step at a time. Yeah, that's why we were so slow, but it's... Uh, for us, it was the right way to do it. You know, it takes as long as it takes. Yeah. yeah, Very good. What book would you say influenced you the most? I guess it depends what stage you are in your business. Basically, I hate books. I only read them because I need to learn something. But I do, I do read a lot of books for business. Um, mm-hmm. My wife would be very disappointed at my turnover of uh, novels. I mean, she goes through about uh, one or two a week. But uh, for me... It'll be one a year if I'm lucky. But, <laughs> but uh, business books are really important. We had, or I set as our kind of management Bible, a book by Charles Koch. Is that how you pronounce it over here? I'm not sure if it's Koch or Koch. I'm not sure either. Uh, I, 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 the people tell me it's Koch. But uh, he uh, wrote a textbook called A Good Profit. And I think that was a really excellent uh, handbook for our management team. And we've certainly used it over the last couple of years. And it's that focus on customer service and uh, quality and decision-making and recruitment. That's an excellent book. But today I'm reading a book by Roger Harrop. I say reading, actually, it's my kind of pocketbook. And it just focuses on the top things when you're running a company. And it's uh, about keeping on top of the most important elements in the business. And that's mm-hmm. called, what's it called now? Staying in the helicopter. And, and basically what it, it, it f- tries to focus you on is keeping an eye on, on the most important things, keeping yourself out of the day-to-day, you know, not interfering with the good people that you've got who know what they're doing, but just making sure that you're, you're tracking the top numbers and the top uh, KPIs. So awesome. Those are, those are my two books. But it, I guess it depends what you need at what time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What would you say is your most used business tool? Asking questions. That's a good answer. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I, I, I remember once I was on a sales call with a, a trainee sales guy. And at the end of the meeting, he, he just said to me, he said, Mike, he said, you ask a lot of questions, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I had not really thought about it, but, but I guess I do. Yeah, it's just, uh, I, I suppose you make assumptions about what the solution is. But if you haven't asked enough questions, then you're, you're not going to get there. So uh, asking questions, I think. But I don't know, have you ever heard of an organization called Vistage? It sounds familiar, but I'm not exactly certain. Well, they do say that, you know, when you're at the top of an organization, it's quite lonely and you don't have anybody to help you out. You know, you certainly can't really turn to anybody in the company for advice. I mean, uh, it might be them that you have the problem with, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I joined this organization called Vistage. It was actually founded in the 50s in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a self-help group for CEOs, you know, where you meet uh, once a month and you, you share ideas and share problems. Almost like a brain trust? Yeah, something, okay. something like that. And uh, I've been a member of the uh, Aberdeen and Dundee Vistage group for the last two years. And I would say asking questions has enabled me to, to identify what the problems are. 
But uh, going to uh, going to Vistage has really enabled me to to work through the solution. So th those would be my two tools: questions and uh, and Vistage. Awesome. Who would you say is your most respected competitor? Well, I'd love to say we have no competition. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess it would have to be uh, Scholar Blackman Oilfield mm -hmm. and uh, Slumberger. Ah. Uh, those guys are setting the kind of the standards for the supply chain and the service levels and right. the products in the area that we compete in. But I, but I feel that, you know, we have great, great opportunities because we're, we're specialized. Mm -hmm. We are very focused on, uh, on what we do. And... A lot of clients need to come to us for something special. They don't want the standard. So, so yeah, those two companies are, are, are where, we, where we set the bar. Awesome. What would you say is your most important lesson learned? I guess it comes from the, the Charles Koch book, and I guess it's to do with putting the customer first. I think it's, it can be tempting especially where things are extremely complex and maybe the customer doesn't quite know what the best solution is to take a shortcut. But in the long term, it's always best to anticipate their needs and really do, do what they would do or do what they would want. I think really that's the, the best lesson learned. Good. Much favorite podcast. My favorite podcast, apart from this one, of course, is... <laughs> Thank you. Well, you may have heard of Brexit. I, I, I think I've read it in the news at some point. <laughs> well, it's pretty all-consuming uh, yeah. back home. And it's a bit of a... Uh, this program's a bit of a, a, a radio car crash, if you like, because, you know, Brexit is... Uh, is quite uh, quite a spectacle, quite a disaster, and you have to keep a sense of balance and, and sense of humour. So there is a, a BBC podcast called Brexit Cast, and uh, if you really need to lighten the mood, but also find out what's going on, then that's really a uh, that's that's a great one to choose. News that's funny. That's yeah. what that's what we News all need. And fun. Yeah. Oh goodness, I know. It's just it's ugh, too much too much going on these days. So because I want our listeners to be well-dressed and most importantly safe, uh, be sure to go to www.bullwork.com forward slash podcast to win a Bullwork FR shirt and base layer. No purchase necessary to win. See official rules for details. Any more stories for me? Well, I maybe I have one from, uh, from a time when I was working in the electronics industry in India. And it was, uh, I was working with an engineer to commission some equipment over there. And, uh, it really pays to, to understand your customer and know what, your, what the mindset is. And we spent, we spent weeks and weeks commissioning this equipment to make sure that it was absolutely spot on. But what we failed to realize when he came and asked us is, was it, you know, when it was all good and all ready to go, is, uh, you know, was it going to work? Was everything going to be great? And we, told, we assured him that we'd, we'd taken all of, all of the precautions, we'd done all the tests, all the commissioning, all the training, everything was going to be absolutely pucker, as they say. And he said that uh, what he, he was only going to be satisfied when, when they had got a, a priest in to come and, and, and bless the control panel. Wow. <laughs> so so we, we should have asked that question right at the outset, and we would have saved ourselves a, a couple of weeks' work. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Mike. If people want to reach out to you or get to know more about Churchill Drilling Tools, 
How might they go about doing that? Well, I can't say I'm an expert on LinkedIn, but I have been known to go on it. Okay. And you can Google us by just entering Churchill Drilling Tools and you will find us. And I'll make sure to put links in the uh, show notes for everybody so you're not driving and trying to write this down because that's incredibly dangerous. I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Events on deck. Of course, uh, every month we've got the OGGN happy hour, last Tuesday of the month, 6 to 9 p.m. at the Canon. All right. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.